Hey there, welcome to Shift for Wellness, the podcast. I'm Jennifer, and this space has been created just for you as it promotes living with ease while facing challenges and trauma with courage and resilience. Today, I'm talking with musical artist, writer, and teacher, Laura Wooten. Laura's had to overcome many tragedies in her life. She realized that the message she was tasked with having to spread to the world was love. Her personal journey inspired her to write a book and build a business. I'm so inspired by Laura's perseverance and intention to share her love and how she finds love every day, everywhere she turns. I'm so pleased to be able to share Laura with you here. It won't take you long to feel the beauty that lives inside her. Today, we're talking about tuning your mind into what you want to see more of, realizing your mortality, and finding space for joy, and facing fears around creativity. Listen in. You so effortlessly create space and joy in all that you do, in your yoga, in your music, in your cards that you call living love card designs, and in your blog. I just love that. And it's so much fun to talk to you. Your smile, your giggle, your laugh is so infectious. And I remember when I was first introduced to you, I had a friend say, you have to come to Sunday's restorative yoga class because there's a girl there now teaching. Not only is she incredible and her class is so restorative and relaxing, but she ends Shavasana by playing the ukulele and her voice is like heaven. And I said, oh, I've got to meet this girl. (laughs) (laughs) And it was true too. It was just, it was just so beautiful. What made you like, did that did you always do that? Did you know that was always going to be your plan or, or did you, you know, what inspired you to, to start singing and playing the ukulele during Shavasana? Well, um, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of interesting. I didn't start doing that singing at the end of classes until I went to Highland yoga. Um, it was a very new thing when I, that was the first studio where I always did it, but I had not been doing it. I, I was teaching for, you know, probably eight years before that. You know, in terms of fears and everything, singing was something that I gave up very early on. I sang in high school. And shortly after that, I, I actually, <laughs> this is a fun fact that nobody knows. I auditioned for um, American Idol. And I also auditioned for, <laughs> I auditioned for um, a TV show that was supposed to be about the Partridge family or something. And they were like, yeah. So anyway, I did both of those auditions and I didn't get in. And what happened for me was I, I internalized it as, okay, so everybody who told me that I was good in high school was just basically lying to my face and I wasn't actually good. And I internalized this voice of, you're not a singer, you suck, give up. Mm-hmm. And um, I did. I gave up for a really long time and it wasn't until, you know, when I, when I became a yoga teacher, one of the reasons why I chose to, I was like, oh, maybe that could be how I could start singing again. I could sing to people at the end of class, but I didn't because I was like, I'm too scared. I can't sing in front of people because I really internalized you suck. You're awful. You're not a singer. No one wants to hear you sing. They're lying to you. They're telling you you're good, but you're not actually good. You're really bad. It was really this intense dialogue that I internalized. Um, And the yoga practice helped me kind of move through that. And it wasn't, (laughs) I still didn't sing though. I never did. And then it was 
let's see, it was 2000, it was September 2015. I was living in Queens with my ex-boyfriend and he bought a ukulele for himself. And I was mad at him for buying the ukulele because he was really strict about keeping budgets and we're saving money for a house and you can't spend money on anything, blah, 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 nothing. So he, he tells me that he buys a ukulele. I'm like, what do you mean you bought a ukulele? How much money? What, how much did it cost? We're not supposed to be spending money on frivolous things. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the story ended in me picking up the ukulele, playing it. And as I was playing it, being like, Oh, I want to sing along, I think. But I wasn't I didn't want to sing along in front of humans. I always say that to people and they go, "What does that mean?" <laughs> like I sang in front of plants and animals and out in nature, but I didn't want to sing in front of people. I was really too scared to do that. And it wasn't until about a year after that when I picked up ukulele, a year later I finally shared the first video and I had this the camera down. And then it was about a year after that that I sang for the first time at the end of a yoga class. So it was very recent. All of this happened very, very recently. Because I remember, well, it was just, it was really an, an incredible experience that I just wanted to have every Sunday. And I said, this is going to be my church. This is what my Sunday is going to be. And I remember you would ask if we wanted some more and everyone said, yes, yes, we want more. And I remember all of us encouraging you to sing more and to do a concert or create a CD. And I just remember so much trepidation around, no, no, I couldn't do that. And I just remember thinking this girl has no idea the talent that she has and how everyone needs to hear her. So, oh my goodness. I'm so glad that now you've, now you're on YouTube and you've got <laughs> your own YouTube channel and you're singing on porches and, yes. <laughs> and events and the lullabies that you do are amazing. So many people's children are going to sleep to your beautiful voice and you're just doing it from home. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing the way that things kind of started happening once I took a chance and faced that fear. And I'm so grateful that I was practicing yoga when I attempted to sing in front of people again, because it was really helpful for me in terms of being able to almost separate from the fear and watch myself experiencing the fear and feeling my body shaking and trembling and being like, okay, just keep breathing. <laughs> You're going to make it through this. It's going to be okay. You have to do this. Like, and I'd be like, no, I don't want to do it. I don't like, I was, I was watching it unfold in my mind. My mind's going, no, 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 we can't do this. It's too scary. This is terrifying. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And I'm like, no, no, this is what we have to do. <laughs> this is very important. <laughs> and that's what yeah. yoga does for us, doesn't it? It really just kind of breaks us open and it has us be honest and face our fears. That's, that's our yoga off the mat. It is. Right? It really is. Yeah. That's the piece about yoga that I want everyone to, to learn and to find out and to discover, but you really don't get a chance to discover that until you step on the mat, right? Just like anything, you never get a chance to discover until you actually take an action and move in that direction and do it. Yeah, it's just, it's so different when we're just thinking about something than when we actually move in that direction and it changes and the fear almost increases sometimes and then also subsides sometimes because once you do it, you're like, oh, it's not as bad as I thought as you get into it. But then all of a sudden there's this new roadblock and then you're like, Ugh. 
yeah. it, it challenges us, right? It challenges us. Absolutely. It gets us out of our comfort zone mm-hmm. and it's our body that gives us feedback. Yeah, but that's like, that's the beauty of the growth though. You know, if we just stayed in one position all the time, we wouldn't be growing. And that's not, we're not here to just be stagnant. We're here to grow and growing involves breaking open over and over and over again. And you're, you've got this knack for finding hearts everywhere, (laughs) clouds, tree roots, rocks, and you share them online. And it's just, you know how some people get really annoyed with these little puppy and kitten videos on Facebook or Instagram. I love them. (laughs) I love them. Somebody most recently posted one about two bunnies. And I thought it was, I just, I get lost in that simplicity and just that pure unconditional love and this innocence. And I feel the same way when I see yours, like they just stop me in my tracks. You post so intentionally and that whenever you post something, it just makes me stop and pay attention. And then I wonder how many of us are walking through each day and passing all of these hearts that are presented to us, but are we, are we missing them because we're not really paying attention? What is it that we're paying attention to that we're not seeing all of this love and all of these hearts in front of us every day? Yeah, I well, it's partially why I do share it in the hope that just like, you could watch TV and see negative things all day and then look for what's negative around you. But if you pause for a moment and you say, oh, look, Laura's seeing all these hearts and all of a sudden now your mind is thinking you're open to seeing the hearts too and not just seeing the hearts, but feeling that there's this loving support even on the darkest, most difficult days. Mm -hmm. I've started really feeling the power of the hearts after my dad died and seeing more and more hearts and stuff after he died. I used to see lots of hug license plates too, like like New Jersey license plates, and they would say hug. I saw at least 45 of them for this long streak before I ended up moving and leaving New Jersey. I Hugs all the time. And, and yeah, and the hearts, I just, <laughs> I find them everywhere. And now, honestly, people always send me pictures of hearts that they find. People send me hearts all the time. And I, I just love, I love knowing that they think of me then they want to share it with me, but I love knowing that they're seeing the hearts and that they're recognizing that they're there because it is, it's, I always describe it like a radio channel. It's like you tune your mind to what you want to see. And and when we start practicing yoga, we can consciously tune it. And so rather than tuning it subconsciously and unconsciously, most of the time to the negativity that can come up so much in news and everything, I was a journalism major and I stopped watching the news at age 22. But you can tune your dial to see the love, see the gratitude, feel the gratitude, to see the beauty of the beings around you in your life who are, we're so often surrounded by, I noticed this in myself, we're so often surrounded by love, but then we just don't even feel it. And I, again, this was something I learned very, very deeply in my own life. When I turned 30, it happened that I was moving to New Orleans for a year. And I was, I was looking through all these, like I was cleaning out a closet and I found all these cards and I'm reading all these cards. And I mean, I was very, very depressed for a long time. And when I was reading through the cards, I'm like, wow, like so many people like had nice things to say about me. I was like hating myself for so long. And people are saying how much I had, I made an impact on them or they enjoy, like they like things that I'm doing or they, they liked who I was as a person or whatever. And, I, was, and I, I saw so clearly how I was not experiencing that reality. I was ex- experiencing this 
warped reality of my own mind. And I have to be honest, most people are in some version of that. And we just don't know it. We don't know it because I always describe it as like when you have like these these glasses on that are your filtered perspective and you're looking through them your whole life. So that's all you see. And it seems like you're seeing the whole world, but you're actually missing a lot of what's around you because it's trimming out <laughs> anything that doesn't fit into your belief system. You know, and, and that's that's why those difficult moments are beautiful because the difficult moments kind of break the glasses <laughs> and all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh, I'm seeing things I was missing before. <laughs> to me, that's what breaking open means is like, yeah, it's painful. It's not like the best thing you've ever gone through. But at the same time, now you're going to see something that you were missing previously. And now you might be open to seeing the love around you that you missed before and you weren't feeling before. Yeah, because you've you've had a lot of loss, Laura. You've had a lot of tragedy in your life. You've lost two family homes and the passing of your dad recently, whom you were super, super close with. I mean, you can just you can just tell that in your posts and when you Mm -hmm. speak about him and you speak about him often. So how are you able to find so much space for joy when you've had so much tragedy in your life? One of my favorite quotes is Khalil Gibran. I might be able to find it on my phone, but I'll just try to sum it up for you. (laughs) But he basically says, the deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more space you have to contain joy. Mm. Because you can imagine the sorrow, the difficulty, almost like in the Tao Te Ching, they talk about the idea of the importance of the empty space. So you can't have a cup unless it's empty in the middle. And so I envision that what Khalil is saying is like, your sorrow carves out the space of that cup and then your cup gets bigger and bigger and you can hold more and more joy. And I get goosebumps saying that. I know when I get goosebumps that I'm aligned with (laughs) something, (laughs) you know, and that's, that's what is honestly. And I didn't know that when I was younger. I mean, I had, yes, what you're talking about, I had my, I had a house burned down um, when I was 15 years old, but amidst that, in a three-year period, I had three of my, all my grandparents die. I was, this is while I was in high school. I was spending some time, like time in Sloan Kettering Hospital when I was in high school because my, my grandparents were sick. I also lost a friend growing up. I found out I had scoliosis. I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease. I, I lost another, I had a lot of loss, a lot of death. And as a result, I was extremely depressed, extremely anxious. And that was how I found yoga. At some point in my mid, like 25, I, I call it my quarter life crisis. I was working for Disney, actually. I was working for Disney. I was working for marketing and magazine marketing. And I, I before my 25th birthday, I, I had anxiety. I was like, I'm like, if, if I make it to 100, this is, 20, this is a quarter of my life. I, is this the way I want to be living my life? Like I could die any day. Like, and as I realized my own mortality, I guess it was kind of like, you know, cause you're younger, you don't think about it per se. But at 25, I was like, okay, we got to change some stuff around. <laughs> this, this isn't working because I'm super depressed this way and I'm not going to be happy. And that I literally, I gave my two weeks notice at Disney and I signed up for my first yoga teacher training. And then that was, I just started my unconventional path. <laughs> yeah. To leave Disney for that path, that's definitely a calling. I just think it's so funny that so many people have this idea that they can't be a yogi or they can't practice yoga because they're not Zen and they're not chill and they're not flexible. Meanwhile, everyone that I know that has come to yoga 
has had some kind of trauma or some kind of tragedy. You know, we don't come into this lifestyle and the health and wellness field because we've been skipping through roses all of our lives. We have been in the trenches, which is why we've found yoga. And that's just opened up so many answers to our questions and our concerns and our issues and our problems and whatever else it is that we're dealing with. Well, and teaching us the capacity to be present with that pain. Yes. Instead of constantly avoiding it. Those feelings that we don't, you know, our culture doesn't allow us to feel those feelings. It doesn't allow us to slow down and pay attention and feel those feelings. Let them move through our body. No one's teaching us. No one's teaching our children. We are, right? But when I say no one, I mean, you know, I don't know if parents have the language for this. I'm trying to educate teachers to have the language for this, to allow our kids to have those feelings, let them move through your body, write, cry, dance, move, run, do yoga, play, whatever it is, but you have to get those negative feelings out of your body because that's what creates our dis-ease. Yeah. Well, and the stories that we hold on to about All them. All those stories changing. We, we need to really pay attention to our language. That's, I, I spend so much time talking to students with the, a lot of the negative self-talk that you were sharing. You hear it in the classroom all day long. And, I'm, and I think it annoys the kids because I constantly stop them and I say, let's reframe that and let's say it this way. And they, they're like, really? Like, Ms. Caputo, just come on. Like, I, I need. But now they're starting to get it. And it's like, oh, all right. They stop themselves and self-correct. But That's wonderful. It is a practice. It is a practice. I'm sure you still catch yourself doing it. And I catch myself doing it as well. All the time. Any sure. anytime any new idea comes up, it's not like it's not like it magically disappears. It's, no. just, it's just that you recognize, okay, there's that old song and dance again, and I don't need to let that be the dominating voice here. I I've learned enough now to know that it's better to move through that, <laughs> and it's better to choose your joy, even though that storm of fear and doubt and insecurity is brewing. You've channeled all of that into this beautiful book that you've written (laughs) and illustrated. So it's your first book, right? And I'm hoping that I I bet you've got more with your creative mind. I'm thinking you've got tons more that are (laughs) going to be coming out. But this book, I, I love to, I can't wait to hear about how kids and families are responding to it, but the, the message, the message is so beautiful and the colors are so bright and bold. The illustrations are just so cheery, but it's very engaging, so engaging for kids. You're asking questions. It's interactive. They need to find things. They've got to, they're counting in here. And then you've got breath work exercises and calming exercises. I just think it's such a lovely book to put in the hands of children and families Thank be, the you. Love, be, the, be the love you wish to see in the world. It's called, it's called The Sun is Shining, and everybody can pick it up at Amazon.com. It would make great, you know, you need to buy lots. They're great <laughs> stocking stuffers. They're great stocking stuffers. They're great gifts for showers if you're going right to a baby shower, birthday parties, the holidays are coming up. Everybody should have this book in their home. And, you know, we're saying children, but 
this would be great for adults as well. The message is wonderful with all the three clouds. Which one is sad? Which one is angry? I love it. Which one is scared? <laughs> and how do you know? And then, and then right after that, you say, okay, now this is what you can do. Taking slow, deep breaths can help the storm of emotions pass. Can you take three slow, deep breaths? It's just, it's just <laughs> what the world needs right now. It really is. Thank you for writing it and for illustrating. What was the process like? That was a project that really surprised me. <laughs> that was an unexpected one. I honestly, I'm not sure exactly where to start on it, but I guess I'll, I, I meditate regularly. It's something I do. The book came to me. I don't know how much I should go into the story. Is it okay if we go a little out there? Oh, go. Okay, good. Let's go a little out there. (laughs) I'm a meditator too. This is a little little backstory. Um, I had, I did a Reiki training a few years ago. It was the year my dad actually got sick. And I did it then as a kind of like, okay, something for myself and maybe, you know, just to be even more present with him. And my teacher, it was right when I started doing the singing and stuff. And my teacher was like, oh, you know, I... I'm a part of like this spiritualist center. Would you ever want to play music for us? I'm like, sure, sure. Sounds good. And I ended up after my dad died, I think I went there for the first time. Anyway, they do mediumship. And I, and I was like caught off guard because I wasn't even really thinking that way. Like they asked me, they picked me at one point and the guy was like, oh, I know I'm picking up on someone who was kind of like, like an aunt to you. And I'm like, I'm thinking of my aunt who lives down in Maryland. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I could, I could take that. <laughs> like, she's still alive and breathing. <laughs> anyway, eventually I figured out what was happening. And, <laughs> and he, he said to me, I see that you're writing a children's book. And I, this was maybe two, two years before this even happened. And I, at the time, I'm, I'm thinking to myself in my mind, yeah, I have a thousand blogs. Like, I'm going to write a book, but it's never going to be a children's book. I don't really work with children, and it's not something on my mind. A few months go by, and all of a sudden, kids are coming, literally kids were coming up to me asking me to babysit them. I was going to interview for a dog-sitting position, and the dad comes down. He's like, this is going to sound strange. He's like, but my daughter just asked if you would babysit her. <laughs> I said, you know what, if she, I don't really do that, but if she's connected to me, sure, let's hang out together. <laughs> and then at Highland Yoga, I ended up, they give me a, a position to work at, at a preschool doing yoga. That was what inspired me to put all the questions in the book. Cause when I would leave those classes with them, they'd always want me to read to them and I would read to them. And I'm like, I would, I was just, that's just what I naturally did. I'd ask them how many would count things. Cause I wanted them to engage with the pages more and they loved it. And so that's what made me feel like, okay, I'm going to add that into the book. So flash forward now to last July. Okay. So it's July, 2020, the middle of the pandemic The world has stopped. We have no idea what's going on. <laughs> now I willingly go into a meeting with a woman and she, another medium. She says to me, so this is going to sound really weird. She goes, <laughs> but I get that you're supposed to be writing a children's book. I said, well, it would have sounded weird, except two years ago, someone said the same thing to me. And now you're saying it to me again. At this point, I'm super open to it, but I have no idea what it would be about. I don't really know. Literally the next day, <laughs> I was reading through a book because I had decided at this point I was going to read a children's book and sing along as like a lullaby kind of 30-minute, 45-minute thing on Facebook. As I'm preparing and reading that book, you know, I'm thinking, what am I going to teach the kids the lessons from the book and yada, yada, yada. All of a sudden, the whole book came to me. The sun is shining. 
The next day, I'm meditating in the morning, and a second and third book came to me, and I wrote them all out. And I was overwhelmed. I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now because now I've got three books. And I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I don't know who's going to draw these things because I can't draw. I'm like, that's not going to be me. I'm not going to be the, the usual negative. Yeah, I'm not going to draw. I'm not going to, that can't be me. It's not going to be me. That's literally what happened. So I write all those things, okay? Two weeks later is when my house was torn down, my old house in New Jersey. Talk about a storm hitting your life, okay? Two weeks later, and I'm like, I'm not, I don't care. I'm not doing this book. I'm not doing it. And then, of course, my mind saying the higher self, whatever you want to call it, saying, well, no, but that's the message everybody needs right now. It's the message you need, and it's the message everybody needs. So you're going to have to figure this out. So (laughs) I started doing drafts with colored pencils, and I hated them. And I I happened to to just think, I want something smoother like markers. And I found those markers and I didn't know how to use them. I looked up videos on YouTube on how to use them. And then I I just started drawing and I just made the whole book. And it overwhelmed me because then, talk about, remember before I said, and then, and then all of a sudden you think you did something and then there's another roadblock and another roadblock. The next roadblock was, okay, so now I drew all the pictures. How do I get them into the computer? And how do I publish this? Because I don't know how to do anything about that. And a friend of mine recommended this site, blurb.com, for self-publishing. I'm like, I don't know anything about InDesign. I don't know anything about designing things, period. I don't know how to do any of it. But honestly, somehow it just, when it's supposed to happen, suddenly if you just take one step, like we said before, you just take one step in that direction. And then all of a sudden, it just, somehow it just comes together. And before I knew it, I figured it out. And I and I got some. I still am shocked by it. I'm just like, I still don't even know how it, how it all happened. And I forced myself to sit with this programming that Blurb had that was kind of like a version of InDesign, but their own free version of it. And I just used that in whatever capacity I could to align everything myself, to center the pages. I learned what the bleeding was on the pages to make sure that it wasn't hanging off. It was an overwhelming task in so many ways. Um, and I think that it's really important as for all creative people to understand that. It's not like, it might seem easy and effortless. Like, oh, look, I did this thing. There's so much groundwork. It's like every spring when the flowers come out, the flowers are just not, not just appearing. There's a lot happening beneath the earth, which might be a hint of what's happening in the second book. <laughs> I, I am sitting here in awe. I am looking back at the pages. I'm listening to what you're telling me. And I cannot believe that you did not know how to draw, but you, this is the divine. Like this is when, this is when we know that we've got the divine working through us. This is when we know that there is a message that we were put here for when we know that we are the vessel, right? Yeah. And we are just being used. We are just being used because all the more reason why people have to buy this book and see the artwork in here. Because when I, I said, what, what does this girl not do? She <laughs> sings. She plays the ukulele. She is an incredible restorative yoga teacher. She's got a smile and a way about her that lights up the room and everybody that's around her. And now she writes books and she's an artist. <laughs> 
like the fact that you like I get it. I I totally get that. I get the groundwork because when you're a small business owner, this is what it is, right? You 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 have a another job, but then you're starting up a your own business. There's a lot. There's so much work that happens that people don't see that has to go into it in order for it to be professional and have that look that you want. That you want to attract people, right? You want to attract a reader to this book and you want it to look like the other books that are out there. That's a lot of, that's a, there's just so much time and energy and effort that goes into from the researching of what markers do I use? That could be, that could be a couple of days right there, right? The marker thing was another weird, it's funny, the same boyfriend who bought the ukulele was an amazing artist and he had shown me a picture once that he did in college. And I, I, that's what I thought of. I was like, I want something. It was like this picture of a car that he drew and it was so smooth. And I was like, I want whatever that was. I was like, it must've been a marker. So I went on Amazon and I just typed in artist markers <laughs> and these al- they're called alcohol-based markers. It's what came up. I read the reviews for them. I'm like, wow, these are, like someone wrote like this changed my entire world, which I have to say is the same thing for me. They changed my entire world. Alcohol-based markers are pretty much my favorite thing I've ever worked with. I haven't worked with too many mediums, but I love I love the medium of this alcohol-based marker because they blend. You blend the colors when it's well, wet. Look at that in your cloud. I'm looking at that in your storm cloud. And I'm wondering, did she do that with the marker or was that part of blurbs? No, no, that's a marker. I drew that. I have all the original drawings with all those things. Yeah, I just scanned them into the computer and then I did my best. I mean, they're not, they don't, the colors are definitely distorted a bit from the original drawing. Sometimes that worked in my favor, sometimes not so much, but I just did the best I could with it. The shading and the umbrella. Yeah, that's what these markers, you just do, it's it's the coolest thing. I I, I actually would love to teach more people how to use them because I think maybe... I used to get really frustrated with my music and like with art too, because I always felt like I'm not good enough and I would beat myself up about it. And so I never pursued it. And I used to be upset like that. Now I'm like, I wasted all this time, but and now I'm almost starting to feel excited. Like, but it makes me more able to maybe work with people who are beginning on these kinds of things because I'm, I'm still a beginner in many ways. It's just like, you know, I had a lot of, artists in my family, you know, like my grandmother was a great artist, but that was also why I gave up because she was an intense inner critic in my mind. You know, I really absorbed her as an inner judge. So I, it was like, oh, I'll just never be that good. I can't do the real, the real art. So I'm just giving up. You know, I'm not the only artist who's felt that way. There's so many artists who do that. I really think that every person on the planet is an artist. It's just that there's certain ideas and concepts in our society that make us feel number one, that it's worthless right? That only doing a certain, living a life a certain way is valuable. And if you're living outside of that, then you're not doing something worthwhile. It's that. And it's also just like, you know, not having, not enjoying the process of learning it and feeling like we're applying this perfectionist lens to it. Like that's what really stunted my growth for so many years. And I, I, even when I was drawing the picture of the book, forget it. So many times I'm like, it's not good enough. Or there's this mistake here. And then I was like, no, no, no. This is play. Have fun with this. This is fun. Because the more you project that onto it, the more everybody else is going to feel that way. Like, I hope when people open this book, they're like, oh, 
I've always wanted to write a book. I've always wanted to do this. I want to take a chance. I want to do that too. Or the people who hear my music story, the same thing. I've always wanted to do that. I always want to pursue music. Oh, maybe I should take a chance and do it now. I want to, I want to, anything. I want my story to be the inspiration for other people to take that chance also. It is so inspirational, Laura. And this is the result of facing your fears around creativity. Yeah. And because you've faced your fears around creativity, you have started to create so much space for joy. And because of that bowl analogy that you used before, not just for you, but for so many other people. Yeah. Oh, it's really amazing. How about your cards? These cards are new to me. I love that you call them living love cards. And then when you go onto your website, when you go onto your website, you can get them in bundles and you call them love bundles. (laughs) (laughs) Like, of course she calls them love bundles. I'm a little bit obsessed with the word love. Like it's my favorite thing to draw is just variations of the word love using all different sorts of shapes and objects and things. Um, That was another thing. So after I did the illustrations for the book, I actually, so another storm came up. So the house was torn down. Then I had a random knee injury out of nowhere. My knee was swelling up. I couldn't move a lot last year. It wasn't yoga related because I wasn't doing, I wasn't teaching. I wasn't doing a lot of, it's just, I don't know, some, you know, stress just manifests in different areas at different times. Um, it was interesting, of course, that it's my left leg and it's the foundation and the house had just been torn down. And I felt like energetically, that was definitely a big hit for me. But because of that, so previously I'd been walking a lot. I was outside a lot. And because I couldn't, I had to stay still. And in the stillness, that was when I started drawing all the love designs. There's so many more than the ones that, <laughs> that I printed. And even that was, again, it was like a little bit of a shorter delay, but a delay. I drew all these holiday ones last year and I was all excited and I was going to maybe print them. And then I was like, it's stupid. The same thing happened. You know, I was like, it's stupid. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> then a few months went by and like, I think maybe February or March, a few months, like four months later, I was like, all right, let me contact a local printer. And I contacted them and we scanned in some images and then I played around with, you know, what they would look like. And Living Love actually started as a Facebook group because I was always sharing the hearts and people started sending hearts to me. And I was like, I want to create a space where everybody can share the hearts, you know, with each other, not not just to me. So I created a group called Living Love and it was... Not just for that. I was I was actually hoping it would be a space for people to share music and to share anything creative, but it's turned into a space for sharing hearts and kind of heartwarming things. Um, and when I was creating the cards, that's when I was like living love designs. I love that because I, I said it, it feels like it is like living love. It's why I kind of played around with Gandhi's quote a little bit to make it be the love you wish to see, because I felt like even be the change implies a judgment. Like, it's like we're thinking that something has to change, but be the love you wish to see is like, just be the love. Like, you know what I mean? That's it. Just be a light of love. That's it. Whatever that looks like for you today. (laughs) I think it's so much fun when you go out with an intention to create something for a certain certain group of people, and then it morphs into something that you had no 
you had no intention to do when I, this whole, this whole shift for wellness, the whole idea around shift for wellness was designed to create a space for people who were not well at home, people who were suffering with cancer and couldn't get out. So how could they help themselves while they were home to just shift to a better space with a little smile and some humor, have some faith. And when I started doing the, the online workshops for them, I was asked to then do workshops for people, um, face-to-face workshops. And some of the yoga studios were allowing me to do free workshops for people. And I was so excited to do it and really great, really great outcome. Lots of people would come, but I was so surprised when I found out that I might have 12 or 15 people in a workshop and one person had cancer. Everybody else was just well, walking around like you and me, and just wanted to shift to a better place because they wanted to smile and they needed some humor in their life and some more faith and to learn gratitude. And that was a big moment for me to say, oh my goodness, this isn't what I intended. Because, you know, you ask God, this is what I'm this is this is what I want to do. If I'm meant to do it, just show me the way, show me the first step. And then you say, hey, wait a minute. That's not what I was doing. I, w- I wanted to do this, but you're ta- why are you taking me here? <laughs> and then you just kind of have to have the faith that, well, I know what you want to do. I feel like he's saying to me, I know what you want to do, but this is what you're supposed to do. Yeah, totally. It's like you just again, you move in one direction or you think you're going in one direction and you'll be very surprised. Like it just unfolds in, in interesting and unexpected ways. And, you know, it's so much just enjoying that journey of the unfolding and enjoying even, even those bouts of fear that come up and just recognizing with as much love in your heart as possible that, yeah, it's some part of you that's scared but there's a bigger part of you that's connected to everything and everyone around you and knows what your soul is here to do. Mm-hmm. And you just have to keep trying to choose that, even though the storms come in, the storms come in, the storms come in. Because yeah. it is like if you told me when I was 25 that now at almost 38 years old that I would be, that I would have written a children's book, that I would be like sharing music and performing on my own, that I would have my own sound system and playing the ukulele. I'd be like, you're a crazy person. That's never going to happen. I I wouldn't have believed you because I wouldn't have even been able to see it. That's the thing is like, whatever we even construct in our mind is limited just by our own experience. And we have the ability to connect to things that are even wider than that limited experience. And we can't fully see that picture until we start taking those steps and it starts to unfold and we start to see and we start to feel what it's like to expand within ourselves. And I honestly, I feel like I've been describing the whole shift that's occurred in the world just in the last year and a half. I've been talking to people about it. It's like, The world stopped. And for some of us who were lucky enough to have the experience, we were lucky enough to feel like, oh, this is weird. Like, what do I do now? The world, it was like this collective silence and this collective pause. And for many people, it turned into, oh, this is actually kind of nice. I'm not rushing around to a million places. I can be outside in nature again. I'm spending quality time with the people I love. And I don't feel like I'm divided as much in so many different places. 
I don't have to go to social engagements that I didn't want to go to or whatever it is, like all that kind of stuff. We were free from it all for a little bit. But then inevitably, right, just like in a, any good meditation, you start to get a little antsy. You're like, oh, wait a second. Oh, wait, I want to start pushing it back to the way it was. I want I want the world to go back to quote unquote normal. I want to push it back to what it was. And we pushed, we pushed, we pushed, we pushed. And now we're all in this state of like, like a high school student who put on a fifth grade t-shirt. And we're like, eh, does this still fit me? This feels a little tight. I don't know if it's still my style. I don't know. And we're all feeling the discomfort of that right now. But as we've been saying over and over again in this discussion, this conversation is like, that's where the growth is. We are at such a pivotal point of growth and expansion in humanity right now. And it's like so, so, so important that every single person on the planet chooses his or her joy, whatever that looks like, in whatever way you can access it right now, right here with what you have. You don't have to have a million dollars. You don't have to be in living in a fancy place. You don't have to have the perfect job. You just have to choose one thing that brings you joy, connect with it, hold it close to your heart and take a step in that direction and just know that it's going to unfold in another way. I got goosebumps saying all that. So I know it was good. (laughs) I do as well. That's a That's a great message. It's a great message. And it's so true. It's really all about choice. It's all about choice. It really is. I wanted to ask you some questions as we start to wrap up our conversation, Laura. There are five principles with Shift for Wellness. That Shift for Wellness is actually built on smile, honesty and humor, intention, faith, and thankfulness. And I think we already know the answer to this, but my question to you is what makes you smile? Oh, well, so many things. Just looking at you makes me smile. <laughs> when I go outside, <laughs> when I go outside and I see beautiful flowers, or anytime I see a heart, or anytime I see kindness unfolding around me, or just a parent loving his her, his or her child, seeing a puppy get excited to go for a walk, or or is someone taking care of an animal in need? I any of that. It always that makes my heart smile and my face smile. <laughs> and. How about how you, how do you stay connected to your sense of humor? My sense of, well, I don't know. That's, that's always, it's always just there. I mean, not that I can't get too serious sometimes, especially when I'm in my intense inner critic mode and pushing too much on myself, but I try to even bring levity to that, like as much as I can, when the emotion is not in an intense space, when I can just look at what's happening in my mind and just go, Laura, you're doing it again. <laughs> you know, just kind of be able to laugh at myself. Um, I also just like spontaneously, randomly doing things like putting on like a happy song and just dancing really in a silly way. Just because it's like, why not? It's a great way to shift energy. And it's yeah. super, super tough to do when you are really like you are low, you have no energy, you have no idea how you're even going to make it to dinner. Right. How am I, how am I even, how can I get through dinner? And then I do, I put it on as well, Laura, and I just start dancing around and it's, it is like a magic pill. It's really like a magic pill. (laughs) So what's one thing that you do intentionally? Intentionally? Well, I try to, I honestly try to do everything with an intention. Um, Even just walking around sometimes I find that, you know, I, like I said earlier, I, I do, I've been practicing meditation for many years, but at a certain point, what I recognized was it's not just about sitting still for 10, 15, 30 minutes 
in the morning or at night or whenever you choose to do it. It's about pausing in a moment when you're just walking to the kitchen or when you're driving or when you're having a conversation with someone and just pausing and breathing and realizing like I keep one thing my mantra the last few months especially has been just slow down just slow down it's it's going okay just slow down you know and I, I try to be present almost like walking meditations when I can be it's not that I don't still go off in my waves off to wherever I wandering where my mind is racing or anxious or creative even because sometimes that can feel anxious too when it's super creative all at once but even amidst that I try to just remember to pause slow down and be intentional as often as possible what does faith mean to you you know it's funny faith for me means believing in myself and believing in the people around me and believing in the world and For me, my breath is a big part of my faith Um, and honoring my breath and recognizing that it's this invisible gift that connects every single being on the planet. And anytime my mind goes into a space of judging a situation or whatever's going on, I remind myself like they're all breathing the same air that I am and there's no difference between us. So I don't know. That's something that always keeps me grounded and, and humble. (laughs) because we don't really understand the breath. You know what I mean? We don't know when it's going to end for any of us. We know that once it's gone, all of a sudden, we're not who we are anymore. Um, I think, you know, that gives me a really big sense of faith and (laughs) and trust. (laughs) Yeah. And gratitude. Gratitude, sure. What are you most thankful for? (laughs) Well, the breath, definitely. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I'm, I'm thankful for just all the beautiful people who are in my life. That's that's something that goes through my mind a lot. I find myself constantly in my head, just like, I don't know, lately, I just, I'll go off on these, like just thinking about one specific person, you know, at a time, it'll just kind of come up and I just feel just so grateful. Like what we're talking about, like how intricately connected we all are without fully always seeing the bigger tapestry of humanity, but just feeling the connectivity of that. I don't know. That definitely makes me feel grateful. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And this has been so much fun to chat with you. Oh, I've had so much fun. I've wanted to have this conversation with you, right? We've planned this. This has been in the works for a long time. Yeah, it has. Yeah, a few months for sure. Yeah. I'm so happy we finally made it happen. You too. Thank you for making it happen. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. And you know, we have to make sure that when the next book comes out, that we have another conversation about it. Yes, definitely. I would love that. Any idea when that would come out or we really don't know. You're just allowing it to come through as it's meant to come through. Well, it's funny. Last year, when I finally got the whole first book done, I got it done around the end of December. And then had it shared it with everybody in January of this year. I told myself, well, by the end of this year, I'll get the second book done. <laughs> I don't see that happening. I mean, it's written. It's more just I have to motivate myself to do the drawings. And I haven't I haven't done that yet. But the what happened with the first book was the lesson kept appearing in my life. And the lesson of the second book keeps kind of coming up in my life. And I'm like, okay, it's time. <laughs> so hopefully soon. I would hopefully sometime in... 2022. That would be good. 222 would be a good year, I think. (laughs) 222. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. I look forward to it. 
Yeah, thank you. I look forward to sharing it when I have it. What's your one takeaway from today's conversation? Make that takeaway this week's shift work. What is it that brings you joy? Are you moving in that direction? What is your soul here to do? And how do you know? What are the signs you're seeing or hearing? Are you paying attention to those signs or are you dismissing them? How can you bring more creativity into your life? Can you use that power and that sneakiness of creativity to face your fears? I hope you'll join me next time for more conversations on being well, living with ease, and choosing to shift to a better place when you're just not so sure you can make it happen. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe so you don't miss another episode. I would love it if you could rate and review the show while you're there. And remember, it's not about being perfect. It's about being easy with the practice. I'm dreaming Oh, I Just like the ones I used to know Where the treetops glisten And children to hear sleigh bells in the snow I'm dreaming of a
Be wise.